when we were at Camp Muskingum, I had been in the School of Nursing and Calvin was at Ohio State. We both went to this weekend uh, fellowship of Christian athletes. He and a friend were kind of tossing the football back and forth and Joanne and I, a friend, uh, were walking down this, the uh, pathway and that football happened to come up to us, which we caught. You know, he said, oh, come on down, play. And so we went down and this was just toss football. Well, you know, we were looking these guys over. I thought he looked pretty good. So I was kind of concentrating, watching him. I happened to be walking by the door and I saw this attractive gal and I've always been very timid. That time I wasn't. I went in and uh, talked with them and found out what her name was. Yeah, I was looking him over quite a bit. But, you know, I'm always a little reserved. I have to think things over. So I was just kind of waiting to see whether, uh, as a weekend went along, if I'd see him again. Kind of hoping I would. So when I wrote to them, when I got home, I put Maribel's name first and then this other girl second. Well, Both it's a good were... thing you did, because if you had not, we would have been finished right there. Yeah. <laughs> but she was the one I was interested in. Uh, shortly after, of course, I was farming then, uh, Uncle Sam got me, and so I went in the service Navy for two years because I'd been in reserve, and uh, we wrote. Now you text, but we were in the old times. They wrote letters. And As time went along, he sent a song to me, Light in the Window by the Four Lads, and the words surprised me. I mean, the words to the that song and uh, later it became our song and he never did propose you know but we got married on Valentine's Day in 1960. Through the years it was important for us to read the Bible and you know talk about the Bible because it's a basis when you have an argument and everybody does occasionally you can really um, you know lose your temper or feel like you just don't want to be around that person, but uh, it really makes a difference to know that God loves us. And if you, if you can be quiet at that time and just back away and come back with a forgiving heart, then you don't feel you know, like the other person is against how you feel concerning anything. I mean, you can work it out. We have devotions in the morning and then in the evening. We hold hands and pray for the country and the church and our descendants. And um, we, well, a family that prays together stays together. And uh, we, after 59 years, we still like each other. Love each other. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that pretty cool? I could sit and listen to people like that for hours. I love to listen to stories. 59 years. Calvin and Mary Bell are here. So um, let's give them a hand for doing that video. That was good. <clears throat> so we're jumping into a series 
for the next four teaching Sundays. Next Sunday is our Serve Sunday, and it's called No Place Like Home. As soon as I say that, how many of you have this picture in your mind? I have a confession to make. <laughs> I was thinking about this series and all what I, we wanted to talk about, and what was I going to title it, and this phrase that we're familiar with in our culture just kept coming to me, and so I decided I'm going to do that. And so I'm in our weekly staff meeting. I'm kind of sharing with them what we're doing, where we're going. And as soon as I said that, like three or four of them started like doing the whole scene from The Wizard of Oz, right? There's no place like home. There's no place. And I sincerely looked at him and, and said, what are you doing? I have never watched The Wizard of Oz. I might be the only person in this room that has not. And I looked at him very puzzled, like, what? You know, like, what are you doing? But So that phrase from that movie became such a thing in our culture that I used that phrase, didn't even really know where it came from. And, um, but I'm excited about this series, the, 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 uh, hopefully the conversations that come out of this series and the teaching that we do. Um, and it's going to, one other thing I want to let you know is, as we go through the month of May talking about this, we're going to come to the end of May, and we're going to offer an activity, or uh, activity, a night, a marriage night. Um, Friday, May 31st, dinner at 6, and then it'll be a, a, what's happening all over the country in the month of May. Right now, media has put together um, this marriage night conference type thing, and um, we are going to be able to provide that to you that evening. It's Les and Leslie Parrott. Um, I mean, they're, they're actually Nazarenes, um, but they are national figures. They're on, they've been on Oprah and all these different places um, talking about marriage. Um, they're obviously believers, so it'll be from a Christian perspective. Um, Francis Chan and his wife, and it's going to be a fun night. I think there's a lot of laughter, a lot of quality. Um, going to eat together. And then just kind of go through that that night. It's like $15 a person, which is probably about what you spend when you go out to eat, right, on a date. And so make that your May date night and come and, and enjoy that. And it just kind of ties this series up and uh, a good month for us to once again think about what are the scriptures speaking to me about? What does my family need to look like? What is God saying about family? And what can I learn or be reminded of that helps me to grab a hold uh, of, of truth that impacts my life in this powerful dynamic of the home, right? Of the home. And um, I, I recognize that when I say the word family, that for some of you there are incredibly powerful emotions, positive emotions, good memories. Maybe warm, fuzzy feelings that come to your mind. Because your family growing up was just, it was wonderful. And it, it shaped you in such a positive way. I also realize, though, that I'm talking to people who, no doubt there are some here that um, you grew up in a home where <laughs> it wasn't so positive. And maybe it was dysfunctional. And maybe there was some pain, some hurt. And some things that uh, affected you in a very negative way. And so when we say the word home and we say the word family, um, I recognize that across this room there are different thoughts and memories that are coming to your mind. 
I recognize that I might be talking to people in this series where you are in the middle of dysfunction. Maybe you are just coming through a divorce or you've been through a divorce or uh, other things. And maybe you're single here and you're thinking, well, man, this is so irrelevant to me. Or maybe you're a teenager, um, a high school student, a college student who will be, um, you know, not here yet, but these are in your coming days. And again, all we want to do in this series is just present, um, I believe, life-giving truth from God's Word. Y- you know, if, um, <clears throat> if you get into an elevator, and if you pay attention at all, which I normally don't, but you, you will look on the elevator, there's always a, a, a sign that says, maximum weight, what is it? 2,000 pounds, 3,000 pounds, 6,000? I don't remember what it is. It's different with different. This is the, the maximum weight bearing load that can be in there. And if you overdo that, it will not be able to function the way it's supposed to. And in our culture, uh, the family dynamic is something that is <clears throat> very complex now. Um, more so than ever in our specific culture. There are so many contributing factors to why even people who are not believers will talk about the decline of the family unit. Um, I, I would remind you that the way our culture looks at family has been evolving and changing. And what has happened is so often we have adopted mindsets and we've allowed culture to tell us this is the way it's supposed to go. And listen, Family is, it's, it's, uh, it can be difficult, stressful, and all that anyway, right? Then you load on some misunderstanding, misconceptions, bad practices and behavior, and it's almost like you overload what the family can handle and what is appropriate, and it just, a lot of times it just crashes and burns. And that's why our numbers in our society are so startling as far as broken families and uh, mixed dynamics. And um, so the goal here is just, where am I at today? And what can God's truth speak into my life? And how can I, if I'm not, if I need to be reminded, or if I'm learning something new, how can I allow that to live right now, right where I'm at, and trust that if I'm in something that's dysfunctional or it's, there's actions or attitudes in my own heart that I realize, man, I'm not, I'm not helping my family dynamic. I'm hurting it. How can I begin to allow the healing, empowering, strengthening grace of God to change the family? In my short years as a pastor, because I'm still a young guy, um, uh, I've been able to witness family dynamics where it, it seemed like, man, there is no way there will be reconciliation or restoration or this will work out. And I have been able to see people who have trusted in God's grace and in his truth and have allowed that to be what they followed and amazing things happen in their family dynamics. Maybe dysfunctional homes or um, uh, torn relationships, ripped up relationships. And so that's what we just want to do. We just want to spend a uh, month talking about family. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, how to parent, or what should I know? What the Word of God is saying about parenting uh, in our culture, and also just the whole family unit, so to speak. 
here's three phrases I'm going to share every week that I really want us to understand. All right, I might need some help then. Home is designed to help us grasp God's love. God creating this whole unit, he is the originator of this. It's his idea, right? And one of the ways that family functions is a bigger dynamic going on. And that is in the structure, the unit of a loving, caring encouraging, supportive family where we taste and experience and live out what it is to love and be loved. It's a small mirror. It's a mirror, a reflection of the greater dynamic, and that is the incomprehensible, overwhelming, lavish love of God. And I understand love because of my family background and environment And it's pointing me to the fact that there is a father, a creator, a God, a God who is love and who loves us in a way that we can't even wrap our minds around. And so part of the function of family is designed to help us grasp God's love. Because honestly, as much as we love our families and we live in context of our families and we live for our families... The end goal of man is something bigger than our families. It does not end with our families. Where everything ends is our relationship with God. And family is a structure that gives us a picture into the great, lavish love of God. So it's home that's designed to help us grasp God's love. It's home that is designed to help us um, experience God's grace. All of us know what it is to share a house with somebody day in and day out, right? And when you do that, you realize very quickly that there are no perfect people on this earth, right? Yourself included. Good grief, man. It's when you live with somebody, you see everything, right? Like, you recognize we are flawed. We are broken. Um, we, We have misunderstandings. We have faulty judgment. We have annoying behaviors. We have weird quirks. Right? And um, I believe it's the family dynamic that enables us to experience what it is to be gracious to one another in relationships. To learn how to love someone despite (laughs) this, this, and this. Right? To learn to be committed to someone despite the fact that they not only maybe annoy you with some of their behaviors, but they have failed you in some of their actions. And yet, we learn about grace in a home. Well, we should. God designed it. If we're relational people, it's that unit where he can amplify the importance, the necessity of his grace to make life uh, fulfilling and abundant in the way it was designed. And so, home is designed to help us experience God's grace. Not only to grasp God's love, but experience God's grace. And the last one is, home is designed to reveal God's truth. Okay, so God says, hey, this is how I'm calling you to live. This is how, what makes sense. This is what, when you live this way, you avoid trouble. 
You have peace. You understand what it is to be joyful. Life makes sense. Your decision making keeps getting better and better and better. And things work out and make sense as you follow my truth. And it's a family. We see that so starkly. I say this, like if God calls us to be people who are experiencing the grace of God in such a way that I am being shaped and molded and formed and fashioned into the image of Jesus, that's the hopeful, optimistic reality of life is that God's grace comes to us when we're undeserving, rescues us, forgives us, pardons us of our sin, brings us into new relationship with him. But that's just the beginning of what he wants to do with us. Right? He now wants to change our lives and to make us into this, this image of God's grace of like, wow, can you believe that they were so broken, lost, and they were just messed up? And look at how as they followed God and walked in his spirit, now that they are different people. And I would say, and we call that being a holiness people, a set-apart people, right? A people that are mirroring the image of Jesus Christ. I would say for me, marriage has been the number one tool God has used in my life to show me how much work God needs to do on me. Seriously. Like, if I want to take you, Chip, from this person, and I'm going to make you into this person, the number one tool he's used is me getting married. Because I'm like, wow. Oops. You need to grow in this area, Chip. Do you realize, now that I've put you together with this person, like, do you realize how sometimes you're, you're selfish? You just do your thing without thinking about it. Or you, uh, and it's like, whoa, God, I really need, right? Marriage, the family, and with parenting now, it's like, good grief. Lord, help me, Right? I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this. Or, you know, it's the family is an unbelievable way to reveal what God is trying to do with us. And so today, as we start, this is the hardest one for me because I'm looking forward to talking about things like parenting and other, it might be my stage of life too, you know, but, um, and the family home and grandparents and the role, all this stuff. But today, we have to start at what I think is the foundational baseline for looking at the home and understanding the home. And what God reveals to us is this. The health of your home is led by your second priority. Okay? I hope you're looking at me like Ron is. Like, what are you talking about? I'm assuming that you're here as a Christ follower, as a believer of Christ, and you understand that the whole purpose of your life is to follow him. That's your first priority, correct? That's an assumption on my part. But the health of the home is led by your second priority. And the way the scriptures form our understanding of what we lead with, what we prioritize, what we place, is this. It begins with my following after God in a relationship with him. Then it flows down to the second priority in my life is my spouse. I did not say your second priority is your family. Your second priority is your spouse. 
Listen to how God, when he's introducing to us this family unit in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, he says, okay, so he's created all these things. Now he's created man and he's created woman. and he's, It's foundational. This is what I need to know, what I need to understand about this unit God is putting together, this, this foundational relationship that is at the core of the home. And he says this, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. That's interesting, like um, Jesus repeats this. Jesus prioritized this. He said, listen, what you need to understand about this relationship of marriage is this, that there is a leaving, and I use this kind of, a leaving and a cleaving. I'm surprised every time I do marriage count, not every time, I shouldn't say that, more, more times than I thought that so often it is very difficult for, for uh, people to really leave their mom and dad. But that is what he's calling us to. And foundationally said, listen, I want you to understand the priority of this relationship is so great that you are going to leave your family and unite with this person in what becomes the primary human relationship that you have. Right? Um, it's not leave your family, like forsake your family. It's I now have moved to a place where there is a person, my, my companion, becomes my ultimate priority. And what's cool about this is that word unite. The word unite is defined by these words. Cleave, cling, closely pursue, stick. And what God is communicating to us, this is like an ongoing action. I love this idea of and is to pursue his, in this context, his wife. To be con constantly pursuing his companion as they become one flesh. And it's obvious that God, as he's establishing a family union, says that the base of this unit is the health of the home is dependent on the relationship between mom and dad, husband and wife. And that is your primary priority or responsibility in the home. Listen, when I say these words, you all know that this is not our context in a lot of ways. This is not just me saying this, okay? I've observed this, but the experts would say this. Kids have become the center of the family's existence in our culture. Andy Stanley would say it this way. We worship our kids. Okay? We do. We've grown that way where the center of everything revolves around our kids. <laughs> i got to tell you, when I'm talking about this, when I'm speaking about this, I'm a dad of four, 12 and under. Three know who are involved in all sorts of activities. It sure seems like a lot of times my whole existence is centered around my children. Right? This practice, this game, this activity, this thing, this, this, this. 
And so as I've been doing this this week, I've been once again opening and examining my heart to just say, hey, you know this, but are you practicing this? Are you living this? And I, I, I kind of boiled it down to this statement for us today. Our kids don't need us giving them experiences as much as us modeling love for one another. That's what they need more than anything else. That's what the scriptures are trying to begin to let us know is that your role in the family unit, your primary responsibility is for mom and dad to love each other and model it in such a powerful way. That's what your kids desperately need to see. That's what they need to have as an example. That's what needs to provide the framework for what they want to experience and what they want to do and the life they want to have. It's not, hey, what can I do to have my kids experience more and more and more and more? Right? Now, notice how I worded that. Our kids don't need us giving them experiences as much as. I didn't say give us experiences. I'm in the middle of it right now. Kid wants to play this sport. Okay. Kid wants to do this activity. Okay. But primary to a healthy home, the most important thing is modeling love for one another. And our culture, it's amazing how our kids have become the center of our existence. It's what we focus all our energy into. And as activities have multiplied, we've just given ourselves to those things so much that it's alarming the amount of divorces that happen when the last kid leaves the home. It's amazing. Look at it. Study it. As soon as the last one leaves and is out, mom and dad look at each other and say, I don't even like you anymore. We stuck together just to get them through high school and we're gone. Right? Because the center of our existence got misplaced. When all along God is calling us to a priority list that is love me and then pour yourself into this companion, this lifelong companion that I've given to you. And out of that, it provides the environment, the example of a home built on love and deep, caring, stable relationship and that's what your kid needs to see more than anything else he doesn't need to see he doesn't need to experience something more she doesn't need to have this or do this more than seeing you guys loving each other in a powerful way that's what they need i'm gonna stop and say can i have an amen okay so how does that happen from a scriptural perspective and what I want to just simply remind you of is this. I'm going to jump in here and it's going to get really super quiet because it always does when you talk about these verses and you guys are going to think whatever. And I'm just going to tell you this makes so much sense. It's God's truth. Um, it's been misrepresented so many times. And for you, some of you, you've heard it misrepresented so many times that you, like, as soon as I read it. But here's, what do I need to understand? Okay, you're telling me that God's saying the primary priority in the home is the relationship of mom and dad, loving one another. So what does the scripture say about how that works out, how that fleshes out? Well, there's really just one big section in the New Testament. 
There's just really one. This is the first place you go. This is the classic passage. How do I love my wife? How do I love my husband? How, how do I understand how a relationship works? And it goes something like this. And just stay with me, all right? Don't jump off board. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Amen. We love that word, like especially that word submit, right? Because we have this UFC kind of mentality now. Like submit is put you into submission. Again, it's a little bit of a language thing. So follow me, okay? Wives, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Amen, praise the Lord. You're not saying that. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow. For this, what in the world is going on? In the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as, they, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife actually loves himself. Really, you despise yourself if you don't love your wife. You're self-loathing kind of person. You are an incomplete, unhappy, uh, dysfunctional person. All right? That's kind of what he's saying. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And this is what I want to just land on for a moment. So I need to understand that the relationship between me and my wife, or a wife and a husband, is paramount, is foundational to the health of the home. Well, how does this work? Well, Paul reminds us of just some key things that God always understands about the dynamics of male and female. Okay, he's saying, listen, I want you to remind, because he actually, verse 21 of, of Ephesians, he said, everybody should be submitting to one another, all right? So this submission is not like, that's a unique thing for ladies, and you've heard those guys get up preachers and talk about wives submit, and it meant like, just let the guy be a, a, a dictator, right? And it was always a male talking about it, and so it was always kind of weird, right? Like, there's a little bit of something weird going on here, but... So he's already talked about mutual submission, caring or loving one another, right? I'll give up some of my rights to help you if that is helpful to you. But then he kind of takes this detour or this idea and says, listen, I just want to remind you that understanding the marriage relationship, what so often happens or where we are prone to go off the tracks is in this way. He says, wives, respect your husbands. Why does he say that? Because he's reminding ladies that <clears throat> he doesn't say wives love your husbands. Why does he not say that? Do they need to love their husbands? Absolutely. What do women naturally tend to do? They love, right? Ladies are lovers. Some of you are like, yeah, you don't know my wife. <laughs> don't point, don't look. Don't move your eye like that. But it's generally like, hey, I want you to understand something. Men speak the language of respect. There's the natural male ego. You all get this. You've experienced this. And so the way that you continue to relate to him in, a, in, a, in, in this fulfilling, harmonious way is that I'm reminding you to make sure that in your relationship you're going to love. That's a natural tendency for you to do. But you need to respect him. 
because that's the language he speaks. That's what he desires from his companion. A man wants his wife to think he's the greatest person in the world, even though it's not true. Right? To them, that is absolutely important. That, that is the language he speaks. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who designed us, knows, ladies, respect your husbands. If this is going to flow, make sure you always remember to respect. On the flip side, he says, husbands love. Because husbands, you speak the language of respect. You know, here. And you have a tendency not to be as loving. Amen? That's why we have to be reminded of anniversaries and cards and chocolates and flowers. And it doesn't come natural to us a lot of times. He's saying, what I need you to understand is in this relationship that needs to flow, it needs to be so healthy for your family, for your personal life, for everything, is you need to make sure that you take attention, a special attention to nurturing and caring for that lady. That's important to her. That's the language she speaks. That's what tells her that you care about her, you're committed to her, and you're invested. Right? Husbands love, wives respect. In essence, it's, it's this. Pursue her with words of affection and pursue him with words of affirmation. A lady wants to know this, kind of at the baseline. She wants to know, do you love me today? Do you love me? And a man wants to know this, do you believe in me? Those are the energy, that's, the, that's what fuels a man and a woman to, to, to just be motivated and inspired to pour into one another. And so at the baseline of this, understanding this relationship is important. Uh, forget having a healthy home life if your relationship with your spouse is poor. Now, I need to take a moment, take a time out. It's a two-way street, isn't it? And I know, and I've talked to many people for a long time who are sitting in seats like this right now, and we talk about this, and they are doing everything that they can and it's not being reciprocated. And I don't want you to walk out of here feeling guilty. Okay? Marriage is a two-way street. You can love and respect all that stuff, and they can choose not to love and respect. And so I, I've got to be careful here. There's so many dynamics that I'm speaking to. Please do not feel guilt in this area, if your spouse is not reciprocating. And there is a tremendous amount of hurt and pain that comes with that. I get that. And that's another sermon, another topic, and a lot more prayer and grace. But in the design of the home right now, this is what fuels a healthy home. Husbands loving their wives in such a sacrificial, self-giving way that it mirrors Christ loving his church. And wives believing and trusting and following the lead of their husbands so much, they just have the ultimate respect for them. 
That provides the energy for this to be a healthy environment. I would remind you too that the scriptures, if they tell us how to live in all of our relationships, when it speaks to us about how to live with people, it's, when it says, hey, practice this or be like this, guess what? The first person that you get to practice that with, that's your spouse. If, if the scriptures say love one another, it's obviously implying that the first person you love is who? Your spouse. We tend to generalize the scriptures like, oh, I'm supposed to be this or that. It starts with person number one in your life. So it's like this. So how does this relationship thrive? Well, the word of God gives us insight. It's in this word, listen. How do I have a healthy marriage? Learn to listen. Hear. It's like this. James said this. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. (laughs) That should actually be in a marriage book somewhere. Right? If I want this relationship to thrive, then I have got to learn not only to be quick to listen everywhere, but especially to my spouse. (laughs) Am I practicing this? Am I hearing and understanding what they're saying, how they're feeling, what they're trying to communicate? You know, they say communication is only 45% of what you say and 55% of body language and tone and inflection and all that. And if you're married, you recognize this very quickly. (laughs) Your wife can say, is there anything wrong, honey? She can say no. But 55% of her body is saying yes. The way her shoulders go or her eyes or her even no. Right? Am I learning to listen to that for that? Do I, am I someone who listens? God calls us to be people who are quick to listen and slow to speak. And that starts at home with the number one relationship in my life. Listen. The second thing I want to remind you of that God tells us to do to all people, but especially to our spouse, is forgive. (laughs) You guys all know this, right? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God and Christ God forgave you. Really, I'm sure Calvin and Mary Bell, they they mentioned the words forgiveness. There is no sustainable, healthy, long-time marriage without forgiveness being practiced in a liberal way. Guess what? You are going to need to offer forgiveness and you're going to need to learn to accept forgiveness. And marriage thrives when both people are forgiving people. Just in my short years of ministry, I spent a lot of hours counseling. And unforgiveness leads to resentment and then to bitterness. And it's like a cancer to a healthy marriage. It begins to eat away 
it begins to decline the health, and it'll ultimately, I've seen it, will take the life of a marriage. Until you're sitting in a divorce court somewhere because of the inability to offer forgiveness and to accept forgiveness. Both ways. And he says, listen, we should be people who forgive. Where does that start? With your number one person in this world. With your spouse. Forgive. Listen, forgive. Be humble. Be humble. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. I'll tell you another thing that just destroys the life of a marriage is when one partner just has an arrogance about who they are and their opinion is more valuable and they are a little more valuable than their spouse and and they should have the final word and I don't take into con- I actually just feel superior to my spouse like I'm just a better person like I'm just a better like I'm more important I'm you know what I mean like this boy good luck have fun <laughs> there's deep within us uh, man we are together and my opinion does not matter more than yours be humble if we are to be this way to people at large we definitely should be this way with our spouse be humble I knew I'd get quiet in here that's okay last one is love God love God again this is so core but there is no way I can ever have the marriage I'm supposed to have without the Holy Spirit, my relationship with the Lord. Um, it's just not going to exist. It's going to be a struggle. There's going to be trial. Um, not that there's not any, like a peachy whatever, right? You know, like we all have marriage, right? Coming together is to becoming one. There's always some adjustment. There's always some... Uh, disagreement or whatever but without the empowerment of the holy spirit in my life it's so much worse and i i create the potential for the disintegration of a relationship without the lord in my life and so i love god if i'm to love god love others then it starts with my spouse primary loving that person more so listen right forgive be humble love god I would just leave you with this, just briefly. The four C's that make marriage. Maybe this is something you can take with you. This is a takeaway for you today. Four words, commitment. Commitment. A lifelong choice of unconditional love. Commitment says, I love you. At the core of a healthy marriage relationship is is a lifelong choice of unconditional conditional love i love you second one is communication a lifeline skill of learning to understand each other (laughs) communication says i trust you i love you i trust you we already talked about listening already communication is this lifelong skill I'm willing to embrace the fact that I have got to pour myself into this relationship. I have got to allow time to listen, to understand. Again, practically, how in the world in my week 
with three kids involved in sports and 4-H and all that stuff. How am I going to create space for me to listen and communicate with my spouse? Well, I'll tell you what, something else has to go. Something else has to go because the priority in my life has to be that my spouse and I are communicating. There is a connection, there is a hearing and being heard. And that continues to create health in the relationship. The third thing is caring. An adventure of lifelong friendship, fun, and mutual fulfillment. This is saying, caring is saying, I like you. So many times, it's amazing how couples who have been together for a while, they basically could really say, hey, I love my spouse, but I don't really like them. <laughs> you think I'm joking. Like, it, that happens. Like, but caring is this commitment to seeing what brought you guys together. Remember when you started dating, there was this adventure of fun and, and friendship. It was established on those things, or it should have been. It needs to be established on, hey, we're just pouring in, learning about, growing into each other. Guess what? That should never stop. It's amazing how people date to marry and then forget to date after they're married. And if this relationship is core to a healthy home, then you and I have to continue to date our spouse. To allow space to care for one another and to build that friendship and to have shared activities where we have fun together and we, there's fulfillment and it's just like, you know, we are still finding ways to do life together and we are connecting, right? And it's not just, well... You know, the fun we have is we sit beside each other at a ball game. <laughs> That's not good enough. You need to do that. Show up to your kids' ball games, be there, right? Find things that you share together that continue to build friendship, fun, and mutual fulfillment. And the last one is commission. I'm not going to be able to click on that. But it's this idea of... Um, a shared vision to impact the love of others for Christ. It says, I need you. If it says, I love you, I trust you, I like you, I need you. All of us built with purpose. When we come together in marriage, we find that common purpose, and we pour ourselves into that common purpose. And there is life and energy from knowing that together we are making a difference. And that just continues to fuel a healthy environment. Hey, listen, I know when I talk about this, we all are sitting there thinking, oh, great. I can name one thing that he's talked about, or as he's talked, it's reminded me of something else. I need to work on this. Because guess what? This is where rubber meets the road. Life is at. This is 24-7. We live in family together, right? This isn't, oh, I just need to talk to my coworker a little bit more about Jesus, or I need to do this. This is where you live, right? Every moment of every day. And I want to remind you just today that in a world where priorities are so out of whack, God continually calls us back to prioritizing our relationship with our spouse. That should provide the framework for the dynamics and the health of the home. Is mom and dad, they love each other. They're connected. They're committed. They care for one another. That's what I want to experience when I grow up. That's the kind of relationship I want to experience, right? 
And I know as I say that, we're all thinking, oh, great. Well, you know, I'm thinking, whew, I got a lot of room to grow here. And my kids, like, I tell you what, kids recognize when you love and care and are trying your best. And that doesn't mean perfection. That means you didn't argue about something and they heard you arguing and all of a sudden, oh, they don't think we're healthy at all. Nonsense. They understand and sense and feel when you are committed to that person and you are pouring into them and they are pouring into you. With all the imperfections and flaws that come with living in a marriage relationship. Make your lead priority in the home your spouse and build a foundation for a vibrant, healthy, successful home. Father, just speak to us, continue to speak to us with this. I know it's, uh, it's something that you, all, you always are working on us about and we all feel like that we can grow in this area. And I just want to remind people to not get off track from this, not to be perfect in this, it's not going to happen but to grow in this and to make this our focus and our priority, recognizing that we're flawed and imperfect. And we, you know, but our kids will absolutely recognize a committed, caring relationship with one another where we invest in each other, and that provides such a foundation for our home. Do this in our lives so we can build godly, successful families. We pray in Jesus' name.